And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to our first episode of 2015, episode number 60 of PNR, This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, January 5th, 2015. So our word for January, folks, is interesting. I was struck by two technology worlds colliding this week that make things interesting. The first is, of course, CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, where the newest of the new seems to be all the wearables, including eyeglasses and hats and bands and all that kind of stuff. And, of course, all the connected home appliances making up our new Internet of Things. But the second, of course, is the movie Back to the Future Part Two, which is set in 2015. And while we laugh at the missing hoverboards and flying cars and all that, go back and watch that movie, which is something I did this holiday season. There's some really interesting things in there that this movie got right. From VR glasses to thumbprint ID technology, Skype video, it's pretty awesome, actually. One of the things that the movie didn't get right, of course, was just how this awesome show gets to you every single week. And we hope our little podcast of content marketing love makes it to your podcatcher every single week. And if it does, give us a review, won't you? Why not? Simply go to iTunes and tell audiences what you think of our little show. Compare us to the tech in Back to the Future Part 2. Are we Biff's Pleasure Paradise Casino or are we Marty's Awesome Auto Lace Nikes, ready to help you run into the future of content marketing in your career? All right, let's get our interesting new year underway. And, of course, I'm happy to introduce my partner, my colleague, my good, good friend. And I have to say this because it was actually made official this last week. I'm not even making this up, folks. The most interesting man in Cleveland, Mr. Joe Polizzi. Are you staying thirsty, my friend? I, I have to preface it. It's not, I'm not the most interesting. I'm one of the most interesting. There's a lot of interesting let's, people. I just have to be Let's be honest, one. though. Let's be honest, though. None of them are as interesting as it, the Joe Polizzi. It was a slow year, my friend. I'll tell you, <laughs> you know. But, what's but are fun? you staying thirsty? Are are you staying thirsty, of my friend? <laughs> no, you were you were talking about the Back to the Future two thing. I I didn't even know you were going to intro with that. I have my orange vest. Do you that really? I've been wearing because the boys and I have been talking about. Uh, the whole Back to the Future 2015 thing, and I've been wearing it <laughs> around the house, and nice. I'm back to the, and I've got it on today. Nice. So. What are you, a sailor? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to be shipped out any moment yeah. now. I, now I'm going to have to watch that movie. It's, it's just, such a great. It's such a fun movie. I love. I love the whole trilogy. I watched the whole trilogy over the holiday season. It's just. Did so, you really? So I did. I love that trilogy. It's so fun. Where'd you get the time? Did you like do binge watching and stuff over the over the holidays? No, you, you know the some... funny thing is, you know, and this is, this is funny. We're not covering this at all on the show, but th- this is actually an article that did come out over the holidays. Is how how dismal going to the theater is now for movies. It's it's really become a big issue. I mean, even with the new sort of interview and and all of that, you know, we didn't go to the movies at all over the Christmas and New Year holiday. We we stayed home and watched movies and. It was fun to, to actually, you know, spend a night watching, you know, watching old movies. I used to do that every when my brother and I, uh, we probably for ten years straight as we were growing up, we always went to a movie. That was what we did on Christmas, yeah, exactly every year, and just don't even think about it anymore. That's right. That's right. We didn't. We didn't even think about going to the movies this year. We just said, you know what, we're going to stay at home and watch a few old movies. And that just, I, I happened to catch the first one on cable. And then I was like, oh, and I watched I watched most of it. And then I was like, let's watch the other two. So we ended up sort of getting the, the Netflix on and watching the other two in in succession. 
I did think it was interesting. I don't think other movies can pull this off because of the amount of marketing that was behind the interview. But the fact that they were projected to get $20 million at the box office originally, and they did like $18 million combined with like what two at the regular box office and then another 16 almost 16 online i just thought that was interesting that they almost it is hit their but number remember they were expecting 20 at the box office that's and that's right? it so yeah so now they're they're they basically cut the long tail off right and so it'll be interesting now to see if there is any sort of tail at all of this after you know it's a really interesting experiment, but you know the whole idea of the way that the releases work now is that you have a big box office release which gets everybody interested. Not everybody makes it to the theater in time, so you have these windows of you know first cable, then online through Netflix, and then rentals through DVD, and then you have sort of the you know public cable, and then ultimately broadcast TV, which of course you won't have now, right? You'll have you will have cut a good piece of that off by doing this all first in one big bang. You think so, though? I do, actually. Yeah, I think I think you're going to see the. I mean, a lot of this has to do with what I have not seen the movie yet, but from what I've seen from friends' reviews and stuff, it's not all that great. I mean, not that it was anticipated to be any sort of, yeah. you know, masterpiece or anything, but I've heard that it's not that awesome. And so it, it'll be, a, you know, if it was a better movie, it might be a better test of this. But I think what you're going to see is actually a really sharp decline after you know maybe january or february where you know it's available i mean it's available now i could have watched it on sunday i could have watched you know the, oh it's all the, over i, yeah, I saw exactly. it it's on direct tv was promoting it and um the boys were on youtube watching some stuff and it was right there at the top watch the interview yeah. right now and i'm like oh, all right yeah and i think it's just gonna i think you're gonna see that a, a much steeper decline in sort of the usage and 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 over the you know you know as a, as versus what it used to be, I think you're going to see a much steeper decline because of that. And I think I think quite honestly, a lot of people will use that to further the sort of classic rollout business model. I think you're going to see some reaction to that, you know, probably in the spring to say, you know what, this really didn't work, and so we're going to. But the the key is is that this is an anomaly. It really can't be used as a test yeah. for this because well, and then next, you know, next. Well, next year, this year is going to be totally different because yeah. the amount of amazing movies that are coming out, or at least the buzz around the movies, whether it's Star Wars or Age of Ultron, and I mean, it's going to get crazy this year. They're That's gonna right. they're gonna I hit mean, an all time record this year. You know, the, it's funny. I you know, not to get off on a tangent here because we should get to. We the news, always but, get but, off on tangents. Yeah, it, this is the, what but, this show does. Are you, but, we are the, just tangents. <laughs> The interesting time. thing to me here is is that movie theaters are making the exact same mistake that the movie studios did. You know, I mean, you've heard me say this and, and talk about it in the masterclass where we talk about how the movie companies in the 60s made the classic mistake of not understanding they were in the entertainment business and not the movie business when television became the disruptive technology. But movie theaters are now making the exact same mistake by not understanding that they're in the experience. They're in the physical experience business. They need to start doing things that actually make me want to come to the theater because it's an enhanced experience other than just sitting in a chair and watching a movie. And one, you know, Alamo Drafthouse is a great example of this. They're actually making it more of an experience than, you know, what what a normal movie theater is, and I think that's the key to to getting people to come back to the theaters. I one of the best experiences I've ever had was when I went to a theater with my wife in Virginia Beach. And you went in there, and it was limited seating, and you went in and got a pizza and unlimited yeah. beer throughout the movie, and it was fantastic. 
Wasn't it fun? Yeah, they have, we have a couple of those theaters here in Los Angeles. It's, it's just, it's a delightful experience, right? You go in, you have some dinner, you have some pizza, beer, you can sit around a table and you can kind of, you know, watch the movie and sort of not chat, but you can certainly have a much more communal experience than you do in today's sort of dark theater. Yeah. And now we're already over time. Yeah, exactly. Thanks. Well, let's get to the news. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Obama. That- right. <laughs> All right, our first article and uh, news item this week. Um, Nine big questions over marketing and advertising. This comes to us courtesy of the Wall Street Journal, um, and it's from the CMO Today blog, and it makes some big questions. And I thought what would be fun for us to do is to go through the nine questions and do a quick lightning round on each, basically take maybe 10 or 15 seconds each and just really quickly go through these um, and not get into any really in-depth discussion on them, but just get our take on on these questions because I think there's some really interesting ones, some of which directly speak to to content marketing. Um, and I'll, I'll kick it off with the first one. And of course, this link to the all, all nine of them and their take on it will link to in the show notes, of course. But the first one is, can broadcast TV still do a breakout hit that attracts a lot of live viewers, just to our, what we were just talking about, or isn't a Shonda Rhimes project, which I think is kind of funny. Um, so what do you think, Joe? I mean, is broadcast TV dead or is it just is it now going to become yet another small channel no when i saw this one robert the first thing i thought of is my son on the couch yesterday and he was watching youtube uh, with his headphones on and every once in a while he would look up at the tv and it's just it's just amazing to me that the television the the device broadcast television whatever you want to talk about is a second is the second screen now yeah it's not the primary screen youtube has become the part. I mean, not for me, maybe not for you, but for the for, for the generations coming up behind us, <laughs> right? Exactly. That have longer to live. Um, it's it's changed. So I would say you're going to see an occasional breakout, uh, but you're not going to see consistency anymore. What I do you think, think that's right. Well, I think that's right, and I think my take on this, my 15 second take on this, is that you're already starting to see this in the transition of Hollywood into, you know, what used to be 13 and 22. Uh, episodes for a season are now there the most of the new uh, uh, uh new projects this year are being pitched as four episodes eight episodes where they're going to do them as many and see how they do right and so they're the broadcast networks are taking a lesson from the house of cards and those sorts of things and you know and doing shorter smaller miniseries where it's an encapsulated story, right? All four or six episodes is one story, but if it does well, they could actually repeat it and do it again or do something else. And so it becomes like American horror story or like, uh, you know, true detective or those kinds of series where they, they're each, each season is a story in and of itself, but it's actually something they could extend into multiple seasons if they wanted to. Interesting. Well, I, I think it's on that, and of course we're already over our time with this, yeah. but I think it's interesting what 24 has done. So 24, you know, they stopped, but now you know they're going to come back with a 24 special every year. That's right. You know they're going to do that, and yeah. that's great because that keeps the brand going, and it's a smarter way to do it, and they're going to get very big and popular for those three or four weeks they're going to do it, and yeah. then they'll do it again in 12 months. 
That's exactly right. All right, number two. Was the subpar TV upfront selling season? And for those of you who don't know, what happens is that they call it the upfronts, where all of the networks go out and show all their stuff that's coming up, and then all the advertisers get to bid on advertising in that. They call that the upfront season. Was the really sad state of that this year simply a cyclical ratings-driven dip versus something seismic that's happening in the advertising world? What say you? I think it's seismic. I think we're seeing the death of the upfronts. Yep, I absolutely How many more years? Uh, I would give it two. Two more years? Yep. I'll say three. Then it's done. All right, here we go. Number three, how fast will advertisers gravitate to Snapchat? I think they'll gravitate really quickly, but then it'll go away. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) It just came to me. I you see what he did there, folks. That oh, was really I, he, he thought so of that bad. all weekend. You had you have to know that he thought of that all. I weekend. did not. That just came into my head. Uh, really I think good. that I think that Snapchat is going to. And I, I'm not even on Snapchat. I don't even use Snapchat. I don't from either. What I read and what I know, I think all the kids are into it. Though I think it's going to be huge. Well, no, but and I it's it still kills me the fact that no none of the kids that uh, that my kids hang out with are on Facebook. It yeah. blows me away. Twitter and Snapchat. Yep. Instagram. Absolutely. Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram. There you go. Well, we'll get to this when we get to what Fred Wilson says about social media, but as he says, it's all about messaging now. It's not about social media. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Number four, who wins the YouTube Facebook web video war? Well, why don't you go first? What do you think? I think uh, I think I don't know. I think I think YouTube wins ultimately, but um, uh, because I think Facebook won't be able to figure it out. But I but think they're both that's going a guess. to win. I think they're both going to win because I think you're seeing the new networks instead of the NBC, ABC, CBS. It's you're seeing YouTube, Facebook, and to be decided. I'll put it this way: I think Facebook is CBS, and I think YouTube is cable TV. All right. They're both in the game, that's for sure. There you go. Number five, does anyone win in the brewing ad tech platform war between Google, Facebook, and AOL? I don't know why they chose AOL Why is AOL in there? I guess guess they're looking at AOL as a giant network of sites. Um, The question is, can a non-giant steal the spotlight in this new new environment? (sighs) That's a tough question. I, I, you, there's always a possibility. These things always, there's no, you know, we're going to be talking about three new companies next year that we never heard of That's doing right. something strange. But I will say, especially I read an article on Digiday today just about Google going in about uh, and, and really flexing their muscle over the ad spend with whatever that stack you would talk about where they're offering right. double yep. click services, YouTube, all this other stuff. They have a lot of power. To go oh, in yeah, for sure. And so that's really interesting. If I was going to put my money on a company right now, I would put it on Google. But I don't think that you can say it's between Google and Facebook. I don't know what. Every time I see AOL, I just think of the CDs. Lining right. Well, and I, you know, I question, and it's interesting because number six here has to do with the, this exact company. But I, I don't know why they didn't include Yahoo in that yeah. in that question. You know. And so number six, what does Yahoo do next? What does it buy? What is it going to? What is what is next for Yahoo? Well, you know they're out. I mean, they're desperately trying to get Snapchat. I mean, who's not? But Yahoo wants it, I think, more than anyone else. So I think that Yahoo is going to try to get Snapchat, and I think they're going to offer a obscene amount of billions and billions of dollars to get it. So that's what oh, I. That's think. funny. I disagree. I think they're not going to get Snapchat. I think they're going to buy a cable network. 
I think they're going to buy one of the niche cable networks. Like uh, there's rumors that they might try and buy CNN, but I don't think they'll be able to afford CNN. I think they'll. I saw those else. rumors. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> that yeah. you know, I wouldn't be surprised with. Well, here they have a lot of money, especially with the Alibaba oh, uh, windfall yeah. that they have. They, they have a lot of, cash, of money right? to spend. Exactly. And Marissa Meyer, I think, is going to have. What has she been there? Two years now. Yep. I think she's, she's going to get a longer do something. I think she's going to get a longer leash. And if she gets a longer leash, they have quite a few billions of dollars more to spend. Um I think it's going to get interesting. I think they're going to be Yahoo's going to be relevant again in the next couple of years. Yeah. Number 7, what happens to all these venture-backed digital publishing companies? As they say forget about BuzzFeed and Vice for a minute, what about the upstart venture-funded companies like Refinery29 and Mike and all these others that aren't boasting 150 million monthly visitors. What say you, Joe Polizzi? Here's my take on it. Why do they all have the same business model? Why can't they sell products and services? Why do they all these media companies have to just sell advertising? Seriously. I'm asking the question. I don't I mean, I don't get it. I don't understand it either. I mean, it's it's it's. I mean, it seems easy to sort of categorize. I'm sure there are companies out there that are starting this, but they're not getting they're not getting the noise that these venture backed digital publishing companies. I mean, everybody's so enamored with what BuzzFeed and uh, and those kinds of companies have done and how quickly they've grown. I think you're seeing a lot of, I think you're seeing a lot of bad money chasing good right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it, but there's only so many BuzzFeeds and Vices right. in the world. I really think that what's the? I mean, this is obviously I'm, I'm I'm pitching my next book, but my the book that's the the topic for the book. Why why do you have to? Why can't you create a media company and then plug into products and services that make sense for that audience? So I would love to see these media companies grow and grow and grow, and then when they get to a certain point, they'll have enough information about what the audience wants, and they can plug and play different products. Exactly. Instead of just going after the and then the the whole they bringing this up in the piece, the programmatic advertising is a problem. Just get away from the business model. It's a much easier business model to sell products and services. I totally agree. Totally so. agree. Number eight, are the ad holding companies done with their mega deals like Publicis and then the Sapient deal happened just at the end of the year there? Are ad companies going to continue to try and build out their technology chops? Well, I'll take this one. Yeah, I'll leave this one to you. Go ahead. Yeah, the, I mean, uh, building out their technology chops. Yeah, duh. Of course they are. They're and they're they're not done. They're actually going. Uh, you're going to see a, a lot more of this uh, in the future. Um, but I think this is moving in the wrong direction. I think the ad holding companies getting bigger and bigger are doing nothing to make themselves more agile and more customer centric. So, I think uh, there's still a huge place for boutique, smaller firms that are more agile and can, and can quite frankly outmaneuver the big guys. I agree with that. Next. Number nine, <laughs> can print companies make a real go of it in digital video? And we, and it's funny, I, when I saw this as the last question, I was like, ah, this is one we can actually spend a little time on. We don't necessarily have to, but it's interesting. I, I like the fact that it's the last question here. Can print companies make a real go of it in digital video? Well, I, I think I know your answer to this. Well, but. what's a print company? Are they talking <laughs> yeah, about right. – <laughs> I mean, seriously, are they talking <laughs> yeah, about right. a, a company that prints I think they're talking stuff? about print tra- – I think they're talking about traditional. They're talking about ma- yeah, traditional magazines yeah, and newspapers. Yeah, yeah. I just am making fun about the statement, yeah, which I right, think is completely exactly. wrong. But uh, I I think that most will not be able to do that, and some will. Um, I think it's a tough transition if those companies are focused on the channel, which is the same thing. We talk about it almost every episode. What business are you in? And a lot of them were so – they've been so long in the printed medium business 
that it's harder for them to look at the different models of contents and consumption. But why not? Why just a video? It could be audio. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be video. Does yeah, it? I, I no. I agree. I agree. And when you think about it, you know, I mean, coming back to your sort of your your nomenclature challenge, which is, you know, what are we really talking about here? I mean, if we're talking about a company like Time Inc. I mean, you know, Time Warner, which is both a, you know, it's a multimedia company that happens to have a print division. Um, and I think, you know, so I think ultimately the answer to that is yes, they can. But, you know, it's just a question of where's the talent. Well, here's the thing. If you <laughs> – there are a million people out there creating a million different niches on YouTube right now, and a lot of them are becoming huge successes. If they can do it, I'm really positive that somebody within – time or Condé Nast can do this. It just depends how much they want to focus on it. Yeah, That's absolutely. It. That was fun. That was, that was fun. That was, that was good. Is that, that was, the end I mean, of the, is that the we, end of the episode? Yeah, that's we have the last question. Now. I don't know why they only did nine and not ten, but uh, but that they did. They did only nine questions. There we go. Um, and, of course, we will be posting that link in the show notes so you can actually go back and see it yourself. Yay. Um, our next article comes from Business Insider, and this one actually made a few of the Facebook feeds and stuff like that of people, you know, I don't know, the sort of faux outrage of how what, – what is he talking about? Fred Wilson, the guru of startups, incubators, and all that kind of stuff. Fred Wilson, the famous Fred Wilson, says the social media phase of the internet ended in 2014. There it is. It's officially dead, folks. Um, but he didn't actually say that it was dead. Um, he actually went off on a number of things that happened in 2014, including capital markets and social media and entrepreneurs and all sorts of stuff in a blog post. But this one seems to be getting all of the attention, of course, saying that social media is over. Um, and he basically went off on a number of things. What, first of all, what did you think about his social media proclamation, Joe? And then we can sort of touch on some of the other things he was talking about. I thought about. it was so interesting. We talked about this before and how, how he was talking about how social media has matured. I just think it's funny. Like yeah. the social media has matured, but I mean, let's look at it. There's, you've got players that have solidified. You've got your your formal platforms. You do certain things in certain platforms, and we we're not seeing a lot of new players in there anymore. So in a lot of cases, maybe it's not the social media phase of the internet. It may, social media is kind of baked into everything. Maybe it's the social media innovation stage is over. I mean, I, maybe is that a better way to put it? I guess I, you know. I, it it what it what what it strikes me is is that it's not only about social media, it's about the web in general, right? I mean, it's so funny. I, I've I've taken to sort of opening up talks with this, where I say, you guys realize now that we're 15 years into this whole web. I mean, it's so funny how new we think the web and websites and web technology and developing a web strategy and web marketing and digital. We're 15 years into this. We're as far removed from starting to develop a web strategy than we are when we were in 1980 thinking about things in the mid-60s. And, and, I mean, when you start putting it into yeah. that perspective, we're, we, we need to get good at this, and we need to get good at it quickly because consumers, as we've just talked about, have really adapted to this. I mean, we, you know, consumers are good at adap adapting to new technologies and new ways of doing things and using digital and using all these things. And still in marketing processes, we're still thinking all this, hey, develop a website. That's kind of new and cool and interesting. And the same is kind of true with social media. You know, we're seven years, eight years in many cases, into this whole social media thing. 
and it's not new anymore. It's a mature market, and, and we need to be thinking about how we're adapting to the new things that are coming out of it. I, what, what, what this article got me thinking about was just how I do my presentations now, and I just remember – Boy, this is back in 07, 08. You know, we were talking about, oh, yeah, here's how you get set up in Facebook and you need to be on here and you need to be looking at Twitter. And now we're getting in there and we're saying, you know, you don't need to. You don't, you can amplify your content in different ways. You don't necessarily need to be on Twitter or need to be on Facebook. You can use it as part of your amplification, but you don't have to. Right. It's just interesting that it's all about choices and it's almost comes back to, you know, back in the day, you know, you don't have to be on radio. You don't have to be doing print advertising. You can, you can do trade shows. You might not do trade shows. So you just have to make your choices and where you want to put your priorities. It's such a true thing. I was actually making my, I was redoing my, my little speaking reel uh, over the holiday for my new website redesign for my own little personal site. And I was actually going back and watching all the old presentations that have been captured on, you know, on, on video and watching some of them from like 2008, 2009 going, first of all, I look like crap. But second of all, um, <laughs> that I was the things that I was talking about were like, uh, you know, this, this social media thing is like the social media thing is going to be big. You need to be paying attention to this. You know, the millennials are all going to be on social media. And I was talking about, but not only the millennials will be on social media. So will your mom, your mom is going to be on social media too. And it's like it, it, the, the imperative of the social media. And now it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's another channel, but you know, you may not go there. It, it's, you're right. I mean, it is maturing. But but the one thing that this thing does say before we go on to the next one is it's amazing how this next few you know months to years are going to be about messaging. I mean, oh. It really is. Well, that's what he says, right? He's saying that basically the idea of social media is gone or matured. And what he says is very clearly messaging apps have replaced social media apps. Did you right? see it? The bo- is- did you look at the bottom comments and said, what are we back to AOL AIM again? Yeah. <laughs> Instant <laughs> right, Messenger? Exactly. You know yeah. what? We sort of are. Kind of. Yeah, kind of. We sort of are. I mean, it's like the WhatsApp It's instant messaging. Thing. It just happens to be on mobile, right? It's I mean, just, it's- yeah, it's crazy. So. Anyway, but it's a good article. It's worth it's yeah. worth everyone reading and kind yeah. of the one of... that's the one that stood out to me. I, I think at the, of all of them, the one that stood out to me that I think he really got right and just sort of really resonated with me was when he talked about how the capital markets have moved to the internet. And this is something just because of the work that I do with the venture community and with big investment bankers that I'm se- they're freaking out right now. Um, but this is a big topic among those guys. I you're t- you're right talking now. about if I need money for my business, I can go That's get right. that you and crowdsource it on the it internet. Now. Yeah, they yeah. are there. It's a, it's a disruptive force right now in investment markets right now. What's going on with when what we call crowdfunding, but it's really just raising money across you know the internet and using you know a much more frictionless or less friction filled process for raising money for you know small amounts of money for startups and for other things and it's really changed the way that vc is done it's changed the way that investing has been done it's it's really an interesting it's really an interesting thing good more disruption yeah who doesn't have it we all got it (laughs) (laughs) well and then we paired another article with this just to to keep things moving here we paired an article with this because as interesting as the article from fred was there was a youtube video that talked you know so uh, you know all due respect to social media here youtube and it was done by the host of Game Theory, and I'm blanking on his name right now, but the, the host of Game Theory, which is Matt a Pat. very popular YouTube series. Do you have his name? Matt Pat. 
Matthew there Patrick. Yep. There you go. And he devoted an entire episode of his show, his very, very popular show, um, to basically there's an idea, you know, basically the same thing that's happening that we all know about on Facebook and where the algorithm and how that's sort of changing the way that organic reaches happen. It's happening on YouTube as well. So if you go subscribe to a bunch of YouTube videos, what there is a there's a lot of, you know, of the YouTubers out there complaining that even the subscribers aren't seeing their new episodes appear in their, you know, what's going on front page YouTube thing. And he actually goes through to describe how the algorithm works. And you actually forwarded this story on, and you think it's a great primer for people who want to understand how the Facebook algorithm works and this YouTube well, thing works. And the and first, I, I've, the first thing I have to say is I walk into uh, where the kids were watching YouTube. They're watching it on their computer. So Joshua and Adam are there and they're watching this video about, this, the YouTube subscription button being – it's a really funny series. The game theory is – it's usually about Nintendo games. and all, But he was talking about this whole thing about the subscription channel being broken. And I've, I sit down and I watch it with him. So I'm like, I can't believe it. I'm using this for the podcast. <laughs> and they're actually going through things that are interesting because it's – if you do not understand how Facebook and YouTube algorithms work and what's going to be seen and what's not, this is a perfect 14-minute video for you to sit through does it in a very entertaining way. But basically the whole idea is... Well, that part's arguable, but yeah. But, but well... I, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> I, hey, I got kids. If you, <laughs> I'm on a yeah. different playing field than you it's are. It's all right. Yeah. All right. You know, I hear but, you. But the whole idea is, is that if you subscribe to something or if you like something on Facebook, it doesn't mean you're going to see anything unless you actively engage in that for an ongoing basis. And what I loved about it, and we, you and I talk about this a lot, more content does not actually mean better, especially on That's social right. channels. That's right. Because if you create more content, but they're, but somebody's not able to engage in more of that content on an ongoing basis, they'll actually show it less than if you actually produce less, and as a percentage, they engage with more. So yeah, that's what I love. Because a subscriber about burn. Yeah, subscriber burn. burn. I mean, it's yeah. it's uh it's interesting. So there you go, my 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 kids, and and I'm watching the same thing that they <laughs> they are. Yeah. I mean, I think the, I think he brings up a great point at the very, very end. You know, I think he's a little more apologetic to to YouTube than than he otherwise. Because he's got be three point five million subscribers, of course. Yeah. Um, but I think he ta- he brings up a great point at the very end of the video where he talks about you know that what keeps him up at night, of course, is this idea that it may be the Ellen DeGeneres's and the you know other people who actually have YouTube videos that ultimately take over. The front page, because if YouTube decides to monetize that front page in the same in a similar fashion to what Facebook has said they're going to do to brand pages and and people's feeds, then it could it could really spell the end of these sort of small uh, YouTubers who are who are creating you know sort of niche audiences. Well, it's interesting, right? This is real business. This is for anybody listening to this. You, this is important because if you you could be looking at social media channels that you have followers on as short-term amplification opportunities that may go away. And I think you really need to look at that. So so just in this case, Game Theorist has 3.5 million subscribers. Right now, they get shown because YouTube's algorithm is based on watch time. So that's important. Yeah. And that's, that's so that's what YouTube is basing their entire business model on. But tomorrow, and that's the point he makes at the end here, YouTube could switch it around and say, we're going to, you know, Jimmy Kimmel's advertisers or Ellen DeGeneres' advertisers are going to spend more money. We're going to flip that model. And I'm sorry, Game Theory, you don't get as many 
views now because we're going to send them all over here. YouTube has absolutely every right to do that. Yep. So that's the thing, and that's what Facebook has done and continues to do, and more power to them. But we can't continue to give them, and that's what frustrates me about game theory in itself with the 3.5 million subscribers. Why at every turn they go and have you then subscribe to YouTube again, and I don't see any email link. And that's what I want to see. Well, that's the so I mean this comes back to a thing that we talked about last show actually when we talked about um, the podcast guy who was talking through I'm calling the podcast guy. He's not the podcast guy. It was that wonderful uh, and I'm forgetting his name too off the top of my head. But he talked about the challenge with the interfaces now and the difficulty. In oh yeah, yeah. The, I know it's the article you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, and so. This is a really interesting challenge right now that we face as content creators and creating subscribers. Right now, email is really the only method that we have of creating a known subscriber to our. So, you know, your first question to to the pod to this guy, the game theory guy, is, you know what? You need to convert those three million into known subscribers on, you know, you're building your house on rented land and you should not be surprised when they raise the rent or change the rules on you. And so if you can change the rules somehow to say, I'm pulling these 3 million people over to my audience and I'm merely using YouTube as a method to distribute my video and make it easier for you to see it in a streaming fashion and make it cost effective, that's another thing. But the question that the, the, what his, what he, what he values so much is the fact that it's really easy for people to remember to go to YouTube and check their most popular. It's a centralized place where all their video shows are located. What we don't have right now is sort of a master way to sort of create a subscription to all the content. You know, iTunes kind of does this. There are some interfaces that kind of do this, but nothing is really centralized in a way that creates that sort of direct TV, you know, guide or your own personal guide to your content, despite whatever platform it may lie on. Totally side topic, because this that we're going to bring this whole subscription thing up again later in the episode. But do you have yeah. Dashlane? Do you use Dashlane? I do. Yeah, yeah. That, that yeah. Ju- what you just said reminds me of Dashlane, because Dashlane, I keep all my passwords on yep. Dashlane. And it, it's basically my listing, and I w- don't know what I would do without it. That's what you're talking about, a Dashlane exactly right. for a dash our lane subscriptions. For, for our content subscriptions, yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. And so, and then ultimately, we do, we, there is going to be some other identification system other than email that, 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 you know, right now email is really the only way you can sort of knowingly and, you know, sort of jointly basically come to an agreement with a content provider that you know who I am, I'm verified, and I know who you are, and you are now a subscriber, and I can converse with you anytime I want, and I know that I can do that. Email is really the only mechanism to do that. There's probably something coming. I mean, maybe it's in the messaging. Maybe it's in the Snapchatting. Maybe it's in the, I don't know. But it's it, there, there needs to be and will be something, I think. Here we go. Good. All right. Good, good. Our next article comes to us, and this is you know, for you folks with the drinking game at home. It's not only fantastic, it is native advertising at oh. its best. There we go. It gets you two shots in right now. <laughs> Forbes, shock of all shock, there's gambling going on in the casino. Forbes sells its cover. Dun, dun, dun. 
But I know you have a take on this, Joe, because this isn't really about Forbes selling its cover in a native advertising, which is covered, by the way, in the Wall Street Journal article that we'll have in the show notes, and you can read all about it. You're actually more interested in what AT&T is actually doing with this. That's exactly right. At it. So, yeah, we've, we've talked. So for you regular listeners out there, you know we've talked about native advertising off the hook. Uh, this is all part of Forbes Brand Voice program. They're extending that from the web into print. And AT&T bought a second cover, basically a duplicate cover of what the Forbes regular cover looks at. It was a 30 under 30 issue, and AT&T sponsored this cover. And so it looks like this advertorial, native advertising type deal. What interested me the most, and what you and I have talked about on the show many times, is that AT&T is using this to steal audience. Now, where, yep. what are they doing? So AT&T has this sponsored cover. And that goes to Business Circle, brought to you by AT&T. Business Circle is AT&T's content brand uh, for small businesses, which I think is fantastic. The site is okay. I think it's a good start. There's things I would do with it. I, I don't see enough. Again, brings up enough subscribe opportunities. It's way down at the bottom, but I think they're just getting started with this whole thing. But I like the fact that they're doing exactly what we've been recommending for how many years now, Robert, where right. yeah. native average, if they're if, – if publishers like Forbes are going to give you opportunities, then go ahead and steal their audience. And so everything is directing to business circle. Um, the one last, so I would say hats off to at and I would, you know, look at your subscription. I get, you know, start getting those people really trying to get their names and subscribers, which is another thing. But I do have to have uh, hats off to um, Louis Devorkin, who's the, uh, is he the chief editor of Forbes? Chief, I think so, yeah. Chief editor. Yep. Anyways, yep. he goes through and he's got an article, and we'll put this in the show notes as well, where he, he basically talks about why they did it, why Forbes did it. And I always just – I just wow. like that, that he, he basically says the 25-year-old journalist, uh, um, if it was me, I would have hated this. I would have rebelled. I would have been appalled. But today uh, we need ways to fund journalism, and this is how we do it. So it's kind of like it's, – it's almost a little defeatist, but I get yeah. it. Right. So I don't know if you have a take on that. I just I don't really have a, a take other than I, I totally agree with what AT and T is doing, and this is what we've talked about. You know, for as many shows as we've covered this, it's about getting the audience and pulling it in and making them your own audience, and that's the real benefit of a native advertising approach. Um, you know, I, I did too. I found it a little defeatist when when he was basically like, "Yeah, this is what we got. This is this is the bu- this is the business. This is the we're business in now, we're which, in." And instead I totally of this is the opportunity that, to move but... the business forward, so. You know, from that perspective, again, as a marketer, I don't have a dog in that fight. If, you know, <laughs> if he looks at it like it's defeatist, yeah, okay. As a See, marketer, I'm looking at it as an opportunity and I'm going after it. I'm sorry. So last thing I'll say on this, Robert, because I'm going to let you take the next one. I don't have as much of a take as you do. But why do, Why are they defeat? Why do they just say it, it has to be about advertising? I don't get it. I don't either. There's, I don't there's eight different yeah. ways you can make money off of content. It doesn't yeah. have to be just advertising. You don't have to sell it. Not that Forbes is selling their soul. This could be a very credible way to do the Brand Voice program. They have six full-time content specialists working with AT&T to make sure that the content is super relevant. And Lewis talks about that. Hands off to him. But yeah. But well, still. this feel. I mean, that felt like a very PR massaged message. Yeah. Where basically somebody in PR said, "You know what? You don't need to come out here guns ablazing. You just need to say, yeah, this is the world this we live it. in right now.' And so let that, you know, let that be what it's going to be, so that you don't become the story, the the, the actual anyway. So there you there. go. 
All right, our last article, uh, and it's an interesting one. Um, it's called Quenching Consumers' Thirst for Authentic Brands. Um, and this is something that comes up quite a bit, actually, this idea of authentic brands when we start talking about storytelling and content marketing. This comes from the New York Times. <clears throat> And it's an article that basically really covers small companies. And it, it's ostensibly just a, a list of examples of small companies that are making a big idea or deal out of what they call, the writer calls anyway, authentic brands. So as an example, they have this company called the Fiber Dye House, which is in Philadelphia, which is using sort of the conceit that the owner's great-great-grandfather opened it for business in 1869, and it's basically a piece of United States history. And then another example, which was uh, an online retailer, which now sells clothing and household items and jewelry and stuff, and they've basically researched all the ethical ways of making this stuff, and their, you know, their store really only offers products that have been made in an ethical and nice way. And another example where they make uh, it's a rope company. They make marine grade nautical rope, and they basically doing it in a way that was done, you know, many many hundreds of years ago. So it gives it an, a look and a sturdy design um, that is ages old. And I don't know. Did, did you have a take on this? I mean, I have a I have a small take here, but I but it's really related to content marketing, sort of more broadly. Well, yeah, no, two things. One, hat, um, thanks to Michael Hurley for sending this on to us. Yes, absolutely. Right? So we yeah, forgot to say that. that. But the one thing I thought was interesting. Because you've got a lot of these brands out there that are looking for this authentic story. And it's interesting. They mentioned Patagonia. And the Patagonia's Footprint Chronicles I've been talking about forever. I, I didn't even know this thing has been around for seven years. But basically, that's where Patagonia talks about where they get their materials from and where they do a good job and where they need to do a better job. And it just builds this trust, which I thought was interesting. But the, in the article, they talk, one of the people they interviewed said, how many corporations are out there rifling through the defunct brands of America's past like a bin of used records looking for something, <laughs> anything, that will give them that soft right. Edison bulb glow of authenticity? I that's think right. that that's... That's a bit. That's bigger deal than we think because I think that's going to happen as well with media companies. I think you're going to see brands doing this, and they're going to say, "Okay, where can we get some authenticity? Let's buy an old brand. Let's bring it back to life, almost like a Polaroid type of story." Or Kodak is now coming out with new products and services. Right? It's that same yeah. type of thing. I think you're going to see media companies do the same thing, where they're going to say, "Hey, what old products are out there? Can we bring and sell ourselves?" So I, I think you're going to see a lot of that in the next couple of years. I, I think you're right. I guess, you know, my only quibble with this whole thing is is the word authenticity, right? Um, you know, versus just something like artisanal or, you know, or heritage or those kind. I mean, what we're really talking about here is the experience of the story, right? You know, because authentic doesn't mean that it it's artisanal or has some heritage behind it. It just means that it's of undisputed origin, right? I can have all, I can have an authentic iPhone that's manufactured by small slave children in China. It's authentic, right? It's just you know what I mean. It's like I don't. It doesn't have to have like the soft glow of of you know nineteen fifties kitsch to be authentic. Well, the only time and, I the only time I want to see the word authentic is followed by the words Mexican food. <laughs> If it's authentic Mexican right. food, there you go. I'm there. Exactly. Other than that, I don't want to hear about any authenticity. I think what's more interesting here is is that it's really the what, what we're talking about here is the story behind the product. I mean, yes. we've talked about this how products are commoditized these days. People don't buy the products and services you make; they buy your approach to those products. So that's what's Peter really Drucker. at play here. Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, and it's the story that you can tell about the experience you had with that product that differentiates it, right? So we all want to wear the cool scarf that was made by the Bangladesh woman whose small hands created this little scarf, and then she shipped it in an oak crate to the small haberdashery in Soho where a small but dedicated to human rights group of store owners curated a collection of such fashion, and the proceeds <laughs> go back to the artisan. I mean, we all want that, right? That's what we're, that's what we're hoping for, we, so that when we're at the party and people go, oh, that's a nice scarf, you go, Oh, let me tell you the let story. Let me tell you how the story behind this. that. Yeah. Exactly. That's what we're looking for. That, to me, is not authenticity. That's about creating an experience with your product. It's about marketing, telling great stories, authentic stories that are actually mean something to somebody. And that's the differentiation today, which, candidly, is the heart of content marketing. So I love this article because, to me, it sort of exemplifies what content marketing can be. But it's not about that authentic brand thing i think it's more it's much more about the story behind the product it's so yeah exactly which can be anything it doesn't have to be the soft glow of the edison bulb you know of of where i hand sewed the thing it it can be anything it can be this cool internet of things technology that's being made with this new incredible leading edge thing you know what i mean it doesn't have to be about you know nostalgia you know i really wish there was somebody that would write a book called experiences <laughs> or something like that if there was some way yeah that we could it's, read it's, about it's this. all happening folks it's all when happening. does the book come out man um you know and just to be clear i'm not sponsoring the actual uh show this week we actually have a lovely sponsor that we'll get to in just a second the book is coming out this month um hopefully depending on production schedules and all that kind of stuff end of january beginning of february um, the book should be done. It's done. It's 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 going through final copy editing and design and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's coming very very soon. Oh well, I hope so. I've been waiting. I've been all waiting. Right. Well, I've been waiting for it. <laughs> let's move on to all our right. lovely sponsor, let's, shall so, we? Absolutely, and we are so happy to welcome back our uh, wonderful partners, Acrolinks. The Acrolinks software platform helps the world's most recognized brands create content that is more readable findable and enjoyable and of course they have this wonderful ebook to offer you uh, which is called speak with one voice speak with one voice how to gain competitive advantage in the content era we highly recommend this it answers questions such as how do you make your content stand out we've talked a lot about that in this episode how should companies align their marketing and technical content so they speak with one voice should I say uh, be authentic? Should I say that, Robert? <laughs> Some way. As long as it's followed by an authentic taco or a burrito, I am in. So the ebook answers these questions. Please download support our sponsor, bitly.com slash PNR dash acrolinks2. That's with an X, acrolinks2. Thanks again Fantastic. to these wonderful yep, folks absolutely. at Acrolinks. Been great partners of CMI and the podcast, and we super appreciate it. So, um, you can go and check that out in the show notes. They've been a sponsor for the last few months or for the last few weeks. Or you can see them on Saturday when the show notes go up. So there you go. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing that they do. Absolutely. I mean, you know, thinking about global stuff is is truly become. I mean, it's 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 it, there's so much. I mean, we're thinking about it, right? I mean, we're starting to think about how you know our content strategy and global and all that kind of stuff. Well, everyone's it's, just, it's different, right? Everyone yeah. is a global company today, which yeah. happened fairly quickly. Uh, as the web, as you say, 15 years ago, sort of yeah, exactly. took off here. Exactly. All right, folks, it is now time for your favorite part of the show, our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that uh, gives us something that we can 
you know, not 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 that we don't have enough snark on this show, but uh, something <laughs> that we can snark on or something that we can show a little bit of mm, hugs and kisses toward. Uh, and you have this old marketing this week, so you are going first. So I wanted to. So this is a rave Anna rant. I um, and you saw the uh, the playoff game between Ohio State and uh, I did. Okay, so you saw that Ohio State beat Alabama. Sorry, SEC. I'm so. Those everybody here knows I'm an Ohio State fan, so good. Ohio State wins, but uh, all state sponsored the Sugar Bowl this year, and they ran this MayhemSale.com. Did you happen to go to the website? I did. I okay. saw the whole thing. It's yeah. So it, interesting. It's it was an episodic series of commercials that they ran all in order. The first one was, and I I didn't know this until afterwards. I read the article on Ad, Ad Age, and we'll put this in the show notes that they actually used a real all state customer that were at the game and it was talking about, uh, you know, you can overshare and you, and burglars can find out where you're at. And of course they said, Hey, we're at the sugar bowl. And then they went in, the mayhem guy went in and, and burglarized the house and was having a sale at mayhemsale.com and selling all their stuff for like a dollar or $5 or whatever. And it was, it was quite enjoyable. Now there were some friends that we know that were upset that all state were, you know, getting people uh, afraid for, for no reason. But of course, some of the, uh, some of the stats that I've seen is that it is a real, it could be a real problem here. So, so rave for them to do something different rant on what a big opportunity that they could have built. And we talked, this is like the theme for the show. They could have built subscribers. You go to mayhemsale.com, You don't get anything on how you can protect your home. They've got this whole movement behind it called uh, what's the campaign called project aware. That's right. Project Aware campaign or whatever. the And they call out the campaign, and you could get more information. We could have gone to MayhemSale.com and figured, and downloaded something on how to make sure I don't do this or better behavior or something. They were sending all these people to the site, and I know a lot of people were going to it because it, it was down quite a few times when I tried to get to the site. And I thought that they missed an opportunity. I don't know if you agree with that, but I really thought oh, that, I totally man, agree with that. I mean, like, it's almost the opposite of what Papa John's usually. So Papa John's for the Super Bowl always does their coupon, and or you pick yep. you pick heads or tails, and you have to sign up with your uh, with your email address. It's the greatest database program in the world that they have. They could have done this with Allstate as well. What I hate about this is that it's not connected at all to to the, to, to, to to their other experiences that they have out there, right? So the website, the you know, why didn't this get connected into their blog? Yeah. And, you know, and where they actually continue where they talk the story, about these issues, where they yeah. talk about these issues. And they, why is it not the front page of their website? Why is it not? I mean, I don't understand why it's if this is such a big deal. Why? You know, and I, I think I know the reason, um, because like many companies, they struggle with sort of connecting all those content silos together. But this is the missed opportunity, as you say, is to connect all these things together so that there's a continuation of – so that it's not the only place I might find out about the story is through social media or through this web ad campaign, treating it like a campaign. But rather, I might find it because I just happen upon Allstate's site or I happen to find because I'm a subscriber to the blog or I'm a subscriber to their email newsletter. I can These experiences that we're creating must be able to be discovered, and they're not campaigns. They're things that we want to build on and build that subscriber to. And, and it's just, it, it's, it, I think you're right. It's a missed opportunity. I wish they would call it the, you know, instead of a campaign, some kind of initiative, something that the, cause it, it's very important to the company and I, it's more than a campaign. And I yep. think that because they saw it as a campaign, they didn't connect the dots. And I'm under, I don't know how this worked. I mean, you've worked with the folks at Allstate, you know, them fairly well. 
Um, I'm under the assumption that in, in the same thing happened like in a lot of companies we go into where somebody made a decision that the whole ad team worked with the agency, got this up and running, but the blog team and the web team and the content team probably didn't even know this was happening. Probably didn't even know it was happening. Yeah. That's so. right. Yep. All right. Well, a missed opportunity there. Well, I have a rave uh, this week, and I'll make it very quick here because this is just something you should go experience for yourself because it's just delightful. This is required watching for you content marketers out there, um, and not because I'm trying to send necessarily an undue amount of traffic to skift.com, um, but because it's just a, a great lesson here. Um, this is a video that was uh, skift put on this event where they had as a guest Karen I, and Timpany or Timpone, I'm not really sure of her last name. They don't actually say it in the video, so my apologies if I mispronounced her name. She's the new global marketing officer at Marriott. And she goes through a 17-minute interview where she talks about Marriott's content marketing strategy and how they've basically centralized a content marketing effort. We've covered before on this show the new content studio that they created, which reports up to her. And what they're trying to do there from an omni-media sort of approach of all kinds of different content from news to long form to short form to social and really created an entire content studio here. But she actually goes through the strategy behind it and why she values storytelling really and looks at storytelling as kind of marketing's mandate for Marriott going forward. You know, she talks about their 4,000 hotels, their 18 brands. They've got the Ritz-Carlton and Marriott and, and Moxie, uh, which is a partnership with Ikea. And then they've got the Ian Schrager partnership. And they've got all these different brands. And as she says, each one of them has an opportunity to tell a story. And she's really looking, and she goes through how they broke silos, how they've media has changed. She comes from the media group, so she, how much media has changed. And the quote that I just, well, I'll leave you with because I don't want to spoil the video altogether, but the quote where, where she says, basically, we introduced Marriott's Global Content Studio last, uh, last Monday, she says in this video, which is a, a, a little bit older than that. And it's really become very clear to me that this is really a moment to connect with consumers in a way that is deeply fundamentally engaging with them so that they pass it along. In other words, so that they pass that storyline. This is just getting to what we were just talking about minutes ago. And it's really about sharing content and, and why people want to share content because it's real to them, authentic or not. It's real and meaningful to them. It's, inter it's so interesting because the second part of that is it's not just the distribution that we control. It's collaborating with folks who have their own followings to drive more people sharing, more people uh, talking about this story. And I, I really think that 2015, the major storyline that's going to run through all these episodes and what we do at CMI is this idea of amplification. Yep. Because it seems like content, just good, great content is almost table stakes now. That's right. That's exactly it's how right. are you going to get that out and get it to it's the right It's treating people. it like a product. That's treating exactly it like a product. right. And now yep. we're at that point now. And they're really – so it, it's, it's interesting. What an opportunity. Yep. Absolutely. Great stuff. Oh, what about this old marketing? So in this old marketing, of course, we are on our quest to find the oldest like examples on the face of the earth when it comes to content marketing. And we've got a great one here, and we'll share. This is from Derek Halpern, uh, Social Triggers. If anybody knows the site, it's very. I mean, I've read a number of articles from Derek, really, really smart guy, um, so I highly recommend it. But he talks about how... He just loves to read and loves all these books. He, he talks So he talks about this book, and this is book number six. And the book number six is from Jerry Oppenheimer called Crazy Rich 
power scandal and tragedy inside the Johnson and Johnson dynasty. So that's not the this old marketing example, but what Derek talks about, he brings out an actual old example because he talks about how he gets frustrated with a lot of marketers that talk about John Deere being the oldest example. Of course, you and I have been trying to talk that that's not the oldest. It's one of the oldest, but he says there is an older one. Here it is in 1888. Johnson & Johnson published Modern Methods of Antiseptic Wound Treatment, a textbook used by physicians for many years, and Johnson & Johnson sold bandages to those same doctors. Wow. So it's just interesting that they had a textbook back there that was actually you know, relied on by some of these physicians, and of course that built trust with those physicians, and those physicians ended up buying things from J&J. So, and they've done other things like Red Cross Notes and Red Cross Messenger, but the initial one was in 1888. And this book that Johnson and Johnson. So we'll have to add this example, Robert. That's a fantastic example, isn't it? Great to our list of this old marketing examples, the namesake for this show. So there you go. There you, there you have it. Fantastic. All right. Well, what's going on for you? You 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 traveling this week? What's going on? Well, today is as we record this. It's of course Monday, and everyone is back to work today because I first. For, it was so nice for two weeks. Nobody was emailing, and now everyone is emailing. Yeah. Oh my god! It just yeah. It, it, so it, the floodgates opened it, up today. For sure. So I'm just yeah. I'm just I'm in the office this week, uh, catching up, doing some things, and then I'm in New York next week, and I speak at Digital Book World uh, next oh, nice. week in in New York City. How about yourself? I am actually I hit the ground running, my friend. I leave tomorrow to go to Research Triangle Park in lovely North Carolina, where I am visiting with the good folks at Cisco. Uh, to do a little bit of a workshop for nice. them. And then I head right from there to New York to meet with the good folks at ASME, which is the Association uh, Associative Society of Mechanical Engineers, uh, to do a consulting engagement with them. And then I'm home. Uh, and then next week, dun-dun-dun, I go to Hawaii. So really? I'm going to Hawaii for a week. Yeah, celebrating the wife's 50th birthday. So spending a week There's in Hawaii. There's no client in Hawaii? You're actually no. taking a vacation? <laughs> I'm actually taking a – well, it'll be a little bit of a workcation for me, um, more of a vacation for her. But, uh, you know, so I'll be – you know, we'll have to figure out how we're going to record the show and all that. So I'm sure it, you'll it, have it, tequila you know. close by. Oh, there will friend. be tequila. <laughs> the there will be plenty of that. Fantastic. There you go. All right. Well, that is it, folks. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose signing off. And, you know, those who tweet us up, especially you, you Nanad, uh, trying to figure out how to make this show a little longer for you, my friend. Um, hashtag this old marketing. Get us stories. We so appreciate all those story ideas. We really, really do. They really do help. Or, you know, if you've got a question, you can always send an email too. This old marketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode number 60, we do hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links that we talked about today are in the show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com. And do tune in next week for our second show of 2015 where you'll hear Joe say, Native advertising is my friend. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.
This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.